2 Corinthians chapter 7, now we studied here last week, and I'm going to be honest with you, um, after the service there was a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue that was being had about um, the things that we were talking about last week kind of jump-started more questions, and I had somebody that said to me, it would probably be good if you had a 10 or 15 minute question and answer at the end of the service, um, and I'm totally cool with that, just wasn't on the scope for last week. So I wanted to go back here and I wanted to address some things and I wanted us to just relook at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you weren't here last week, let's let's look at verse 1 and I'll try to remind you of some visuals. Axel, you want to? Okay, that's all right. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I do just want to mention that there is a lot of teaching in quote-unquote Christianity in the Christian church today that would almost lead somebody to believe, if you're watching on the television if, or cable, if you're listening to the radio uh, station, if you're you know tuning into some of these um, podcasts, that there, there is a, a level of teaching out there that would lead you to, the, to believe that holiness is not really that big a deal, that holiness is not really important. It's almost kind of like, you know, that that was a, some, some people almost give you the idea that that was an Old Testament thing and that, you know, holiness is not that important. And let, let me just, just throw this out, that if you've been influenced by that teaching, then you're going to be remiss on understanding the character of God and the desire of God and what God wants for you. Because there's, there, these statements are not just made in a passing sense when the Apostle Paul is saying to this group of people, and remember that he is addressing some deep issues in their lives. They've got some real dysfunction in this church family because they've got some dysfunction in their personal lives. And I'm not going to go into all that, but if you study the letters to first and second, the, the first letter and the second letter to the Corinthian church, you're going to find out that they had some serious dysfunction going on privately, and they had some serious dysfunction going on in a public setting when they got together as brothers and sisters. And so what he says here is you need to cleanse yourself. You need to clean yourself up. So last week I had the pail up here. I had the bucket. And I had some guys come up and help me. I had the towel. I had my robe. And we had a portable shower. And I said I was going to go change. And about a third of you got really scared at where that was going. And it was just to get your attention. Now, I just want to tell you that when I'm talking shower, how many of you have actually showered in a pouring rain before? You've actually showered in a pouring rain. <sighs> I love that. Now, you got to understand, I'm from Texas. So dry, I mean, literally, I was so thankful when it did rain that, like, we had this part of the driveway that would hold, like, four to five inches of water, and that became, like, my, because we didn't have kiddie pools back then. I mean, my mom, even if they had a kiddie pool at Kmart, she wasn't going to go and buy me one because that was just, like, that's crazy. Why would, he, why would she do that? So I would just take all my toy trucks out and sit in the puddle for at least three or four days while I was still there. And I thought I had a, I, I thought I had a God-made pool. So then when, when I married my wife from New Jersey, and then, you know, I would be working, it would be really hot. 
and she's actually watched me, and this is the look that she'd give me. What are you doing? We have a shower in here. And I'm like, why am I going to waste water? This is awesome. And so I'm like a 35-year-old little kid, like, you know, standing outside in the pouring rain and getting all the dirt washed off of me. And the reason I mention that is because regardless of what your mode of cleansing is, whether you like to soak in the tub or whether you like to have like beating water that's like pulsing and taking your skin half off or whether you like the little shower, you know, you know, and you run around to get wet. There's still a similar thing is that when you get done, there's a refreshing, cleansing feeling. You get what I'm saying? And that's the desire that Paul is trying to share, that there are some things that need to be cleansed from us. There's some filth on us. There's some filthiness. There's some dirt that needs to be cleansed. And he's saying that right before he goes into this whole dialogue on relationships. Now, I want to remind you, because we've been talking about this for multiple weeks. Verse 2, he asks him, open your hearts to us. What I love is Paul is straightforward. He's saying, I, there's a difference between opening your heart up to somebody and intellectual agreement about facts. There's a lot of people that I can agree with the factual information that they're given, but our hearts are not connected. You get what I'm saying? And within the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to be really careful. I'm going to remind you what I've been saying for the last two or three weeks, that we have got to open our hearts up. We've got to be willing to open our hearts up. And please hear me. This is a point of dialogue last week that a lot of us have trouble with. The words can roll off of our mouth, but because of past experiences, heartache, disappointment, failure, rejection, the words may roll off of our lips, but the, the doors of our hearts don't necessarily open up. And some of us, when we do, it's almost like spring-loaded opening. You ever tried to get in a spring-loaded door before? What do you got to do? You got to keep tension on it because it naturally wants to slam shut. You don't know what I'm talking about? There's a little door on the bottom of the stair over here. You can go play with that after the service. Is Caitlin here? Okay, you can do it this morning, not next Sunday, okay? And then you're going to tell her I told you to do it anyway, so that's, that's, that's cool. But I'm just saying that when Paul says, open your hearts up, part of what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to be honest and real and vulnerable with you is it's not an easy process to keep an open heart because disappointments, unmet expectations, Failure, rejection are all things that naturally make us want to protect the house and close our heart. And yet, for us to be the church of God, please hear me when I say this. And this is where some of you, I'm going to say this real slow because I hope it sinks in. Biblical information and raw doctrine an agreement on those finer points is not the earmark of the Spirit of God. Now, some of you 
You may be smiling at me right now, but I know that down deep inside of you, you're struggling with what I just said. Because part of what we've created denominations over and part of the split within the Christian church is how we parse intense verbs and how we look at things in the Greek. And so what we've done is we've created these communities of belief to where if you check these boxes theologically, some of you, part of that belief is why you struggle here because we're like just what Francis Chan said. I've said something similar to that before. I love the way he said it. What I'm trying to get you, what we're trying to get you to do is simply take baby steps and believe that you can open up the living word of God and the spirit of God can reveal his truth to you on the most personal level that you can be a minister, a servant, a light shining in darkness. We can all do that together in our various ways. And when we participate like that, the spirit of God does something amazing in and through our hearts, not just our intellects. The reason I'm camping on the fact that we need to open our hearts, Paul understood this. And here's what I'm going to say. Some of you have a ton of biblical information, and you don't know how to apply it functionally in relationships. I'm not the kind of guy that needs to brag on myself. I don't need to promote myself. I don't need to tell you anything. But I will say this. One thing I am pretty decent at because of God's wisdom and God's grace in my life is successful relationships. Not 10 out of 10, but learning how to navigate. And let me just remind you that a genuine church family from the Word of God is all about relationships. It's all about interaction. It's all about the unity of the Spirit. It's about the love that's there. And it's not love on an intellectual level to where that you can tell me the different Greek words for what love means and you can give me all kinds of information. The kind of love that the New Testament is talking about is functional love to where that you can actually live it out and proclaim it and pour it out on other people so that they feel that Jesus is alive and real. So what Paul is talking about here and what I want you to focus on, and I want to say real quick, let's just jump into verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. You know, this is one of the hardest things for me when God made it clear that he wanted me to be lead pastor of this church family. I really struggle, and periodically I still really struggle with proclaiming the truth and people receiving it as hurtful or harsh, that level of regret struggle. So I get what Paul's saying here. He said, I, I do not regret it even though I did regret it. You get what I'm saying? Like, and for some of you, it's a hard line because you know that you're doing the right thing and you take a stand and you proclaim God's truth or you believe that you need to do something and there's that, there's that struggle with, I know I'm doing the right thing, but I regret it, but I don't regret it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's that crazy thing there. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, 
See, that, that repentance and that sorrow is not to take or rob something. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but it's the sorrow of the world that produces death. And you go on to see that he proclaims these are the beautiful things that came out of that change of mind, that change of heart, that change of direction. And then I want you to see what it says here. I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. So I just didn't do it for the person that did the wrong or did the transgression or did the trespass or made the boo-boo or made the mistake, nor did it for the sake of him who suffered the wrong. So the victim in this or the person that was receiving the wrong, he said, I want you to understand that there is something bigger than just the two people involved here. He said, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. The care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. And I said last week that relationships, we need to learn to see relationships as bigger picture than just ourselves and our own agenda. You know that a lot of you on the job, in your family, the things that you see as the most irritating, the things that you struggle with, could be the very things that the Spirit of God is trying to use to get your attention to help you see that there's something bigger going on than just your world. And let me just say this, and I've learned through the years, and I didn't even realize he's going to be here. But Tom Varner, if you ask him after the service, we've walked this road together. Puts his head down. But if you ask him after the service, because Tom worked for me, he worked for us. This is a talented, amazing brother. Okay? But the real issue is that the way that I interacted with him, I tried to show him that there was someone who loved him and that I cared for him throughout the whole process of us working together. And based on our decisions, I was trying to model to him that there was something more important than just the particular situation that was at hand, that there was a God who was trying to work here and that sometimes we have no other option than to deal with things and to flush things out. But the goal is, the goal, hear me when I say this, the goal is for there to be repentance. The real issue here that he's talking about is not just to choose or to prove which side is right and which side is wrong. Some of you, you can't get past that because you live in a world of self-justification, self-analysis, and you have to prove that you're right and you're arrogant. How do I know that? my own life. And there's a bigger picture involved than just my world and my perspective. There's something at stake here, and it's the gospel. And what is it that we're really trying to, let, let me just show you this. Paul says, open your heart to me. Open your heart to us. Do you understand that regular repentance is how you keep the door of your heart open? 
And there's something about genuine humility and genuine sorrow that creates a sense of humility because you realize that there's something bigger here and that God has a bigger plan and it's not just about your own world, it's about other things and so it keeps your heart pliable. And I'm just telling you right now, when I close my heart's door and when I keep them shut, and I rationalize and justify my position when I can fight and I can give you all the reasons why you're dead wrong and I'm dead right, and I create that posture, please hear me when I say this. There's something that happens on the doors of my heart that begin to create a latch. And my tenderness and my openness begins to fade. He's saying here, when we talk about Matthew 22, 37 through 39, my goal for me and my goal for you, I'm trying to help you. Cindy, I want you to make transition. I can say, Tom, I want you. Deb, I want you. Chad, I can go through every single one of you. I can, I can, I'm making eye contact with all of you. I want all of us together cooperatively to learn to love the Lord our God passionately with every part of our being and then to pour that out on each other and love each other the way our self-centered love is toward us. I don't know about you. I know some of the things that some of you have been taught. I cover myself pretty naturally. I look out for myself. I didn't need to be taught to cover myself and look out for myself. So how do we function? Relationships are difficult. Some of you in your job, you're in a position of leadership where you can never meet the expectation of the people around you. Some of you, you're in situations within your family to where that you are put down, you are castigated, you are ridiculed, you are derided in ways that are just painful is an understatement. So how do you keep your heart open? How do you keep your heart open? Because the things that I just said, that probably, I know for a fact that that covers half of you. Some of the gentlemen and some of the ladies, our sheriff's department, our people that are in the prison system, the corrections, how do you deal with all of the bad situations in our culture and not become jaded and hard? I'm asking a genuine question, and I'm opening the floor up for your response. What's the functional reality of what we're talking about? And then how do we not bring that into the church? How do we keep an open heart and a tender heart toward one another and toward people that come in here? Because I can just tell you that the more that we reach people in Madison County, there's going to be people walk through the doors of Madison County. There's going to be people walk through the doors from Greene County. There's going to be people walk through the doors of Orange that have a history, that have a track record, that have been failures in certain realms of their life. So how are we going to respond to people when they walk through the doors and what do we do to embrace them and how do we open our hearts up? What if somebody walks through the doors 
that you've been in partnership with in some shape, form, or fashion, and they've lied and swindled and cheated you, and now they're coming to the worship services. Love them through Christ's eyes. Absolutely. And what does that look like, Jeff? I'm not being smart. I'm just saying I absolutely agree with you. Thank you for, I mean, we're learning, are we? And, and, and the thing is, I, I, don't, I don't believe that there's any cookie-cutter answers. I believe that there's principles in the New Testament, but I believe that it's an ongoing learning situation. Did y'all hear what he said? Say it a little louder, Travis. I absolutely agree with him. That's one of the hardest things for me to do. Because, especially as a man, I'm a protector. So I want to protect. But I have to learn that there's a greater protector than me. And I have to, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. So take every one of these points that have been made. How am I going to remember that it's only by the grace of God that that's not me in that position? How am I going to realize that he's my protector? How am I going to realize that I need to learn to extend love? Please hear me when I say this. It goes back to the Francis Chan video. Unless I am personally, intentionally seeking Jesus, and it goes further than this meeting, if it doesn't go further than this meeting, it's going to be difficult by tonight. <laughs> I don't know about you, but Sunday nights and Mondays are rough for me, personally. So if we don't open ourselves up, if we don't open our hearts to him daily, all throughout the day, then it's going to be difficult to take the beautiful wisdom that's been shared in each one of these. So how many of you feel like that you had somebody model when you were growing up? Biblical successful conflict resolution, raise your hand. Wait, wait a minute, leave your hands up. I want you to look around. I want everybody to look around. How many hands are up? Not, not many. The reason I ask that is because if you go into difficult, challenging situations, because Paul is making it very plain, somebody offended and somebody was offended, somebody did the offending, somebody did the sin, somebody received this, it was hurtful both ways. If you were not raised in a family, if you have not been in a situation where somebody has shown you God's plan for relationship building and God has not modeled or used somebody to model and show you how you can resolve conflict, then please hear me. Without understanding godly conflict resolution skills, what is the natural process for us as human beings? We close our hearts. And then we respond to specific situations to make ourselves think that our hearts are open. Is what I'm saying making any sense? So part of what the New Testament is all about is relationship building. 
That's really what Paul is trying to express here and show that in this process of calling you guys out, I'm not just trying to smack you. I'm trying to show you that I care enough for you, but it's not that I care enough for you as a person. I care enough before about you as a person before God because it's about God's plan and God's got some bigger things here that I care for you before God and there's something bigger going on here. The spiritual dimension, calling, atmosphere, the desire that's going on in this church family is way bigger than any of us. And if we begin to act like we've got this in the palm of our hands or this is our church, no, we're a part of God's church. It's his flock. We're the sheep. We're not in charge. That's why sometimes when you talk to me and you ask me questions, I don't have the answers because we have to go to the Father together. I'm not the shepherd. He's called a lot of us to be under shepherds together. That's why it's important for us to submit ourselves to one another. What's the process of submitting ourselves to one another? It's making repentance, and when we come to the point where we realize there's something up, then I have to make a change in my spirit, my heart, my mind, and my actions Listen to me all of the time. Where, hey Tim, you're my oldest child. Am I lying? You can call me out. You're a Marine, you can handle things. I'll call you a wuss if you can't. Is that true? Megan? Jacqueline? I'm already on public display. Might as well just flush it out there. No, because repentance change when I'm confronted. And guess what? You know what the most painful part of being confronted is? Blind spots. Over the last several months, I've been confronted with some blind spots in my life. Well, guess what? You know why blind spots are hard? Because you don't know they're there. That's so why they're called blind spots. It's like when you almost hit a car because you didn't see him. He's in your blind spot. So do you understand what I'm saying? What, what is your pursuit of God and how are you learning to see other people? Is this dear lady back here what she said? I have said that over and over again to myself. I am no better than anybody else. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's Jesus' blood and his righteousness over me, and it's only by the grace of God. We're sending a team to Uganda. What is the difference between us being born here with all the privileges, with all the blessings, with all the cash flow here, and us being born in Uganda? What's the difference? I don't know. I can't explain that. It's only by the grace of God that we're here and we're not there, or that we're here and we're not in China, or that we're here and we're not in Indonesia. You get what I'm saying? So, how's this, how's this resonating in your heart and mind? Got any questions? The marriage study we're doing? You wanna know why marriage is so difficult? It's the most intimate growth pursuit you will ever experience. 
incredible highs, desperate lows. Because you have to face your humanity in the process. That there's something bigger than just our marriages. If we're followers of Christ, it's the gospel message through our marriages, and it's the gospel message through our singleness. It's all about him. Any comments? Any questions? Let's pray together. Father, we bring, our, we bring ourselves to you this morning. We give ourselves to you, Father. You know and you see people from the inside out. I can only see a glimpse. So, Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm confident because of what you are teaching me and revealing to me about human nature, God. I come to you with a just a confident begging and asking on behalf of the people that are here this morning that they just live with their hearts shut, guarded, protected. Oh, the talents and the resources and the gifts and the blessings. Oh, Father, I ask that you would show them how to take steps of faith. Father, I ask that your spirit would do in us this morning what you want, Father. And I just confess to you, I just have this war taking place inside of me every day to open and shut my heart. And I, I need your help with keeping my heart wide open. And I know that there's brothers and sisters here that they're fighting to keep their hearts wide open and it hurts and it gets exhausting. And yet, Father, there's something more important going on here, and it's the good news of your son, and it's, it's forgiveness and redemption and change. So, Father, I ask that you would show us as a church family how to encourage one another, how to help one another. I ask that you would show us how to resolve conflict together, show us how to confront things and care about the other person. In the name of Jesus, we're asking you to do something amazing. And with this, I want to leave you. The breakthrough for me, personally, was when I got to the point where if I had something going on with Deb, the real breakthrough, when God helped me understand that if I speak truth in love to her, because I genuinely care about her and who she is in Christ, not just my agenda, then when I communicate whatever difficult, hard thing I'm trying to communicate with her, by the grace of God, and as I reinforce my care and concern for her, she's going to know that I genuinely care for her. And for a lot of you, you haven't come to that point yet because you're trying to drive home your truth, your point, your agenda. And so it's difficult for you to see, as she said, it's only by the grace of God, it's difficult for you to see the needs of the other person or the concerns of the other person or the struggles of the other person because your self-preservation or your status or your position is way more important than the other person's heart before God. 
And so when you begin, as has been said, when we begin to see other people, hear me when I say this, as equally important to God, equally important to God as we are, then it begins to influence the way we communicate to this equally important person before God. Does that make sense? Let's stand and let's proclaim his goodness this morning.